I've got one of my best friends, Mike, joining me yet again, my faithful companion of over 30 years. Pew, pew. Yeah. Uh, joining me from Melbourne, Australia, and uh, we're all still in some form of lockdown. But uh, we decided to give this podcast number two another crack. And some this form of lockdown. Some form of lockdown, he says. Some form of I was, lockdown. I played golf I was, today, actually. I was going to say, what was it you saying to me? I could go to the golf course if I want. Oh, you know, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know if there's a language warning on this or not, man, but fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm not some able, I'm form not able of to lockdown. work. He, he's in lockdown and having to That's work. True. I've got the opposite okay. where I, I'm not able to work. Anyway. Um, yeah, there is that. But, Swings and rounds. Swings and roundabouts, yeah. At least you got money in your bank account, yeah. That's true. Um, yeah. Both of us met years and years ago, 1991 to be exact, uh, and music brought us together. So we're we're 80s children, uh, you know, born in the 70s, but 80s is where we were brought up. And primarily the thing that kind of joined us while we both had sort of dabbled in various 80s pop, probably in the mid-80s, the thing that really sort of, galvanized our friendship i guess was our love of the hair bands of the late 80s um you know i mean for me personally my favorites right off the bat were bon jovi and and probably europe and they were probably they were probably my gateway into the 80s hair bands yeah um and of course it went on from that uh, you know let's just name a few i mean def leopard uh white snake poison, poison Motley Warrant, Crew. Motley Crue, Skid Row, Skid Row. Do you do you throw Guns and Roses in there as a hair band or I tenuous? I mean, they, they were the best of that. But the, the point we want to make is, and, and this this is the topic of discussion today, was that we all know it's like folklore now that in 1991 September, to be exact, I, I believe, when Nirvana's Nevermind. Bang. came out getting literally buried, buried the 80s hair bands. And the thing that we thought we'd discuss today is, looking back on history, was that a good thing? So let, let's sort of take a little step back. Let, let's go back as to why we like the 80s hair bands. Like, what was it that, that drew us to them? Wow. Um... Well, I mean, that was that was the rock music of the time. So I think for for us, liking rock, hard rock, that that was what it was. That was that was what it was. Um, but I think probably also more than that, there was some positivity to it. It was brash. It was loud. It gave. You know, zero Fs, what anyone thought of it. Um, we, we weren't outcasts by liking that music at the time. Like, it was more of us liked it than didn't like it mm. on, from memory, don't you think? One day, yes. And, and then seemingly overnight, it, uh, it yeah. turned around. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, when you, when you sort of, when we were 15, 16, and you're wandering around the schoolyard looking at the badges that people have got on their school bags, then it was all the same sort of stuff. And you felt like you were part of that uh, that movement. And then, yeah, with, within a very short space of time, that changed real quick. Yeah. And look, I, I think the main thing that I, I remember about that, that era was it gave me something 
to dream about. It seemed like something that I, I wanted to play music for a start. Like it brought me into music. I wanted to learn to play an instrument so that I could play music like they did. It brought me into songwriting. I wanted to write songs like they did. And, and the, the lifestyle that, I mean, don't forget, this is pre-internet. We used to read about it or hear about it. Or when you went to the concert, you just imagined in your mind what their life might be like backstage and that. It was something to shoot for as a musician. For sure. Absolutely. Um, and, and look, the big part of it too, back in those days, was discovering that music, you know, like, that was the MTV generation. We didn't have MTV in New Zealand. We had um, RTR Countdown. Yes, for half an hour once a week. For <laughs> half an hour once a week. Yeah. Uh, but I also think every now and then there'd be like a, a rock something. Um, like a, it could be on a Sunday night or a Saturday night from 11 to 12. Because I, I remember videoing some of these videos and there'd be like an hour. And that might include ACDC, You Shook Me All Night Long. See, they, yeah. weirdly enough, they, they seem to have taken themselves out of that they were never hair bands, but because they came from before. But in actual fact, they were part of that almost, weren't well, they not? Well, there's, there's a few of them that I think you could probably throw into that that would scoff at the idea of being included. Um, because they're... I'm, but yeah, absolutely, because their legacy now is bigger. You know, your Megadeth, um, uh, Kiss, you yes, know, yep. were absolutely threw themselves into that. Um, Aerosmith, Aerosmith, absolutely, another one who had a you know ten year history before any of that came along. Hmm. Um, I can't believe we've got Van Halen. Van Halen, were in Van there. Halen, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Van Halen would, would their legacy says they were not really a hairband. They were absolutely a hairband. Of course they were. David we Lee Roth designed the hairbands. You know, yeah, he was, we didn't he was call them hairbands back then. Yeah, they were just it was just the music. Bands, yeah, bands, right. yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, I mean, I think I think your your you bands like your ACDC and that sort of thing. Um, I mean, their legacy obviously is so much bigger than that, but by virtue of the fact that they were making rock music at the time, that that was the biggest, you know, that, you know, as you say, MTV came along, music videos were coming out. How did you make music videos? Well, it was all these hair metal bands that were kind of, you know, Twisted Sister were designing the template on how you make, you know, rock music videos. So they probably got dragged into it a little bit from that. I don't know that you'd call ACDC a hair metal band, obviously. No, no, but they were, look, I mean, back then I referred to it as hard rock and heavy metal. Yeah. Um, yeah. Bon Jovi would, would have called themselves a rock and roll band. Uh, yes. But, but it, was, it was hard rock, you know. Yeah. Um, that, that, that was what it came. The hair band thing came later, but hard yeah. rock, absolutely. At that point, I thought incorporated, yeah, well, in the heavy metal. So don't forget, De Def Leppard, when they were first came out, they were considered the new wave of British heavy metal, right alongside Saxon, Iron Maiden, yes. whoever else was back then. Yep. Um, but but look, I guess the things that the, the ones that were really went out the back end uh, when when the 90s came were the ones that were the Los Angeles 
Sunset Strip. For sure. Uh, that it was that that Seattle really killed. Like, because when you think about it, Def Leppard went on shakily, but they have now their legacy's pretty set, isn't it? Well, and yeah, oh, absolutely. But I think Iron Maiden the same. That's an interesting sort of development in that you know a lot a lot of these bands sort of had to weather a storm, and Def Leppard did. You know, their that slang album that they put out there didn't sell a lot of records, you know. No. Motley Crue didn't sell a lot of records in 92 or 93 or whenever it was. You know, there was a lot of those guys that sort of, they just felt it fall off a cliff. Um, and that's probably a, a true measure of the success of those bands and why their legacies will endure is because they then went, whoop, picked themselves up again mm. and have kept going, whereas a lot of the other lower tier ones didn't have the legs to do it. Mm. Um, but you know, even even a band like Poison, which were about as hair metal as it gets, you know, For sure. there's there's not much more than that, you know, and and they absolutely, you know, saw things come undone, and they weren't selling records, they weren't selling arenas, they weren't doing any of that sort of stuff, and then flash forward another sort of 10, 15 years, and they're the biggest selling tour in America. You know, because yeah. by that point you can sort of turn it around and become a bit more of a nostalgia act. Yeah. You know? and, and you've got people like us who were teenagers when they were popular, who are now, you know, or at that time, you know, late 30s with kids and so on. And all of a sudden you've got some disposable income and you know what? You can, you can do whatever you want. And if you want to go to a poison concert, by God, you're going to go to a poison concert. Yeah. Yeah. It became a nostalgic thing. And that's why. Oh, look, I mean, I know some bands uh, have continued to record. And, and I mean, I know, for example, Iron Maiden, Bruce Dickinson said, you know, he, he absolutely uh, feels that his lifeblood is about creating new music. So well, let's just go back to 1991. I mean, you know, it had gone to I wish I could. I know. Um, no, I don't. No, I don't. Not that we saw much of it in New Zealand. Like at the time, a lot of these big things that you'd read about in Metal Edge or Metal Hammer or whatever, they would happen big festivals in um, in America that they hadn't really come. They didn't really ever come to New Zealand. But I'm, I'm thinking of some of the big acts from that ilk that did come down. I mean, Guns N' Roses did come. They were regular tourists to New Zealand. Motley Crue never did. Um, Poison did come, Bon Jovi did come. Um, the next echelon didn't really tour outside of North America. So, so around North America, all these, uh, you know, I think what the point I'm trying to get at, I'm sort of going around in circles here, but the point I'm trying to get at is it almost seemed like there were more things coming out that were kind of light versions of the original Van Halen, the original Van Halen, yeah. epic. Danger, danger, not so much. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the original Poison, or okay, maybe the original Motley Crew. Yeah. yeah. They did arenas on multiple tours. They did all the biggest festivals in the world. They had a huge following. Their come down was massive. But from there came Pretty Boy Floyd. Yeah, you know, um, 
And so there was just this huge what? sort of saturation of those those groups that I have to say I did dig right into, but it was it had to come to an end, didn't it? Of course, yeah, 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 yeah. But I would, um, and I might be jumping ahead a little bit here because my sort of reflection on the '90s music, you know, there was this, as you said, the sudden turnaround overnight where um, that sort of People sort of, you know, just slightly younger than us, everything changes overnight and all of a sudden it's Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden. Um, and, you know, great bands. And it was like, no, it's all about them. They've got some integrity. They've got some... And they did. But when you go back and look at some of the 90s stuff that was around then too, they had their B-grade level as well. You know, make no mistake, there's... Um, yeah, in much, in much the same way as you can go back to the eighties and go, man, I can still put on Doctor Feelgood and go, that is banging. You know, that is there is nothing wrong with that. Um, bon Jovi, New Jersey, there is nothing wrong with that. Um, but then you have, you do, you have your your Danger Danger and your Tough and Dokken and, and all this other stuff that's um, don't offend any Dokken fans, but you know, um, yeah, there's some of that stuff that's that doesn't. When you go back on Spotify, I was saying that to you earlier. When you go the back, the nineties is just as bad, man. There were there were plenty of B level Eddie Vedders out there, you know who you can't you can't. Uh, Sp- was Space Hog? Was that one of them? Oh yeah, there'd be lots. Um, we played a lot of it in the band, you know, lots of one yes. hit wonders. Um, whoever did yeah. Kryptonite, Three Doors Down, Three Doors Down, yeah. Um, oh, Puddle of Mud. Puddle of Mud, yeah, had a couple yeah, of good tracks, you know. Yeah, they've all got one or two. I mean, I guess a lot I of them. I didn't throw to... Creed in there. I know they had a couple of massive hits, but not much else, you know. Right. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, and so just to sort of cut forward, so it obviously got to a point in the late 80s, early, actually, I won't say the late 80s. It was 1990, 1991, mm. where literally, um, around America was just arena tour after arena tour of, you know, three slaughter, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and you try and listen to slaughter now and you're like, Cinderella. Yeah. well, see, arguably Cinderella, some of us would put them a little high. It's like, it's like for me, if I was going to put little, little uh, sort of an echelon in the end, I think it all worked out how it should be because up there at the top, still selling really well are Motley Crue, Def Leppard, Kiss, Bon Jovi. Am I missing anyone from that real era? Probably Alice Cooper. Arguably. Alice oh, Cooper, yeah. Again, doing, you know, he's he's one with a much bigger legacy than that. Much bigger legacy. Certainly entrenched in it. Yeah. Um, um, they did end up that, coming back to the top again, you know, yes, whereas yep. I think people like Warrant, Great White, um, the ones that were the secondary bands back then have ended up staying as a secondary band. I think in America, they probably go into all the state fairs and all that. Uh, anyway, the, the, the point I'm making is I think back in those days, don't forget the record labels held a hell of a lot of sway. Yeah. You worked in a record shop, you know, the record labels were the Kings and yep. they were always looking for more ways to make money. And they kept releasing this stuff out into the market. Yep. 
and there was a bit of a formula on how they all went out and went out with a video and, uh, you know, to get us all into all these different bands. And there's just too much in the end. I mean, you and I, you and I had these great, yeah. great collections. And then all of a sudden, I remember going to Canada at the end of 1991 and someone put on Nirvana Smells Like Teen Spirit. And I just went, wow. It just sounded different and kind of good, you know. Yeah. Um, See, I resisted. I resisted the change. You did. You did. Oh, look, we, we all did. Be in we my bonnet did. about it. Yeah. To, to the um, point where I wouldn't entertain the idea of, of liking some of these new bands, whereas now you go back and listen to it and it's fantastic. You know. So, so what would have been your gateway into the 90s? <laughs> I was going to say Soundgarden. You seem to have a real appreciation for them. Yeah. That, that was probably the one that I... I um, it, it was harder to argue against them. You know, Pearl Jam was easy because everybody loved them the best. Mm. Um, and so that was easy to just go, nah, don't like it. Because everyone else likes it the most, I'm not going to, you know. Um, Nirvana I found a bit easy to turn off because I do find, I still find them a little bit hit and miss with some of their stuff. I think they've had some awesome songs, but maybe not super great albums, you know. There's some stuff in there that's maybe not as high quality there's again there's probably a billion people that would disagree with me on that but Soundgarden I think what got me with them was the musicianship yeah it seemed to just be a cut above you know they they did some interesting stuff with timings I mean Chris Cornell as a great great set of lungs hard, hard to fault um you know the 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 rhythm section on their stuff is just bananas. You know it's it, that's that's probably what pulled me in and made it very difficult to to argue that they weren't good. You know, well, because they also they, they they probably they collaborated. I think um, they were quite good at sort of Chris Cornell. Sort of he sang on an Alice Cooper song and and did some things like that as well, which sort of made me go, huh, okay, and went. And, so there was a little bridge there. Yeah. I, the thing that I think with, yeah, it's a tough one because I felt that in the 80s, um, musicianship had gone to its apex. Like it was great. Like in terms of actually learning how to play drums, like Tommy Lee, what an amazing drummer. The guy yes. had flamboyance. He was good. Yes. Um, you know, uh, let's let's talk about Eddie, Edward Van Halen. He deserves no. his place in history. The guy was it's a genius yeah. on guitar. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and the thing that I, I didn't like about the likes of Nirvana was Kurt Cobain's sorry ass look on his face. He, he, he looked pissed off to be there, whereas I was used to seeing Mr. Bon Jovi looking happy to be there or mm. Brett Michaels looking happy to be there. It was a celebration where I didn't feel that I had a bee in my bonnet that I had to listen to them because I associated with a guy in a cardigan who was fucked off with the world, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, well, it had so that I, punk attitude in there, which right. maybe for for a couple of middle class white kids like us, there wasn't as much to cling on to yeah. with that because we didn't have a lot to complain about. 
No. <laughs> um, no, life was pretty good. Life was pretty good. <laughs> Arguably never got better. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, our, our, our dads didn't bash us and, uh, you know, our mm. parents were still together and all this sort of stuff. So we didn't, we didn't have that. Um, I mean, we angst. had, we, we had, well, we had normal teenage angst that teenagers have, but it was probably, probably what I'd call unfounded teenage angst, you know, on unjustified, on unjustified yeah. teenage angst. Um, yeah. Whereas I would suggest there would be people out there that had justified teenage angst who would probably identify with that a lot more. But I think, I think you're right. There was that whole, um, you know, Nirvana doing MTV Unplugged and the, uh, didn't want to do it, didn't want to do it, didn't want to do it. They said, all right, we'll do it, but we're not playing Teen Spirit. Why not? Because it's your most popular song and you just want to thumb it to people, you know. That's, well, and there would be a, a section of people that would go, yeah, right on, don't do it. That song's been commercialised. But, you know, other people just want to hear Smells Like Teen Spirit done on MTV Unplugged. Yeah, so and, and it's, probably what, it's probably what Dave Grohl, got so right with the Foo Fighters when he moved on. I mean, yes. that's one of the great, that's a, one of the great turnarounds of how the drummer of one band ended up becoming the frontman and the songwriter of another and arguably got more popular, you know? Um, oh, no, arguably about it. He's, he's they're more popular. They're a stadium. Well, yeah. He's, he's the godfather of modern rock, really. He is, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, just think, just go back to the 90s, though. So, I mean, I didn't ever delve back into it any further because I know that that a lot of people I knew, they all delved back into, like, Mother Love Bone. They thought that was the, the, uh, the, the, the one that crossed over where they had a very good-looking singer, the guy that uh, died of a, an overdose, Andrew Wood, who looked a bit like, say, a Brett Michaels. Um, I don't know much about them, but it was Nirvana. Nirvana, when that got released, it, it set a very di big divide where some people, you know, whereas I was sort of trying to grow my hair long and you already had long hair, it was no longer that in anymore. Thanks for bringing uh, up such a painful subject. Yes. <laughs> you had great hair once upon a time. Once yeah, upon thanks, a time, man. man you had I still hair. do. It's just all over my uh, back. back. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, it's luxurious yeah. back there. It's like a Persian rug, you know. Yeah. Um, but for me, Pearl Jam. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the first songs I heard of them was "Alive" and "Even Flow." I didn't get it because I thought, oh, the guy's voice was low. Mm. I I liked high voices and high register stuff. But then I heard Jeremy and I heard Black. And mm. while I'm not a huge fan of all the, the deeper cuts of that album 10, I loved Black and Jeremy. And what drew me to it, I just thought it was amazing songwriting. Yeah. Um, and then I'd go one step further and say, so that's what I liked about, say, Pearl Jam I might, I might be getting my time frames wrong, but when when was Rage Against the Machine? Because when Killing in the Name of came out with a drop D tuning, it was an energy that, that I just little, don't. A little bit later, I reckon that was. Uh, geez, I'm probably going to get it wrong here too. 94, 94, 95 yeah. for them. They were a bit later so, on. 
Yeah, right. So still around when you and I are. Um, well, let's let's see. I can quickly have a look now. Yeah. Um, see, for me with Pearl Jam, it was their their second album with. Um, uh, One, two, three. Yeah, 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 yeah. That one, I love that song. And uh, yeah, me. Elderly woman behind the counter and all that sort of stuff as well. The the melody things. That's a good way to hook me in. The re- the real bugger of it all for me, obviously. Yeah. Killing in the name of 1991, it was released. Get out of town. So we might have we might have gone into it a bit later. Yeah, but I reckon it was all happening around that time. 92. Yeah, sure. 91. Yeah, that's when it, that's when it was officially released. Yeah. Yeah, live. I wouldn't have, wouldn't have picked that for anything. We probably we probably caught on to it a bit later, but yeah. Yeah, and the chilies obviously sort of hit big around the same time. Yeah. So, so when was so. Blood Sugar Sex Magic, that would have probably been 92. Nine, 1991, I reckon. Same. Yeah. So it was all of these things, all of a sudden. See, I loved, I mean, I have to say, as much as I, I kicked and screamed when I was given things like, uh, you know, Blood Sugar Sex Magic, and you hear songs like, um, I could have lied, I'm such a fool. There's, the yeah. ballads were a bit of a, they were a transition point for me as well, I have to say. Um, yep. But in terms of Rage Against the Machine, it was an energy. I just thought, yeah. I don't know. I don't know that I can consider. And Smells Like Teen Spirit had that as well, where you just felt yes. like going nuts. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, which is which is where, you know, the, the 80s uh, hair metal bands really did start to eat themselves. A little bit, you know, because the market became so saturated with all these C-grade efforts of people being put together, and you could see that a lot of them as well. They were they weren't there because they had a genuine interest in making that type of music. They were there because they wanted to get on MTV and make some bucks, you know. Yeah. And then those same people, in in that transition, all cut their hair short and started grumbling and moaning and wearing plaid shirts, you know. Was, so, so, so the, the authenticity had gone out of absolutely the, 80s, yeah. the 80s groups, yeah. which, which, you know, like when they started, you know, those original ones, I, did, I do think they came from an authentic place, you know, whereas the copycats yeah. from them did not. No, no. And, you know, that original methodology that inspired it all of, um, you know, the 70s rock had become you know, big and bombastic. And and so, you know, these up and coming 80s bands went, all right, hold my beer. I can I can do better than that. You know, I can make, and that whole androgynous Robert Plant thing probably got taken and um, filtered through David Lee Roth and turned into sequins and spandex, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was all part of that. There was bits of David Bowie in there bits of Mark Boland from T-Rex. Uh, I mean, the long hair thing was was not just an 80s thing. It's funny how they keep calling 80s hair bands, but yeah. that's how like Jimmy Page... Long hair in the 70s. Yeah. That's, how, that's how Jimmy Page looked. That's how Robert Plant looked. Yet, mm. for some reason, Led Zeppelin have got this gravitas that they were so much more important and didn't look like those other bands did. But, um, yeah... I, I just think when when all was said and done, those that deserved to stay with a certain amount of respect 
at a level ended up staying there. Um, yeah. What they did with that time when they're there, that they've been up there, I don't know whether they've all, I mean, a place people like Def Leppard, they've always tried to do regular releases. Do any of us really care? Not really. I mean, what was the last album from an 80s group, a last new album that you've listened to on Spotify and you've actually gone, no, actually, they're still turning out really good stuff and I'm really, I'm, I'm really into this. Like, I'll listen to it more, you know, many times. That is a very interesting question. Um, extreme? Oh, okay. There, uh, so I, I'm going to pronounce it incorrectly, Sodej de Rock or whatever it was. Sosedes so de Rock or whatever. So yes. Yeah, that was really good. You know, but we're, we're talking something that was 10 years ago now, aren't we, with that one? Oh, is, it, is that now? A, is it an old release now? I'll have a quick look now uh, just to see. But I do know, I, I remember when. Good album. 2008. So it was, it was no. just, just 13 years ago. I know, a, a, a trifling 13 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Know. It probably doesn't count. <laughs> um, mm, let me see. I was going to say um, Alice Cooper had a couple of good ones, but they were probably around a similar similar time, actually. So in the last year, have you not? I mean, you have Spotify. What, what are you listening to nowadays? Well, old things like like, like old albums. No, I listen to I listen to. Um, I, I, I have found myself going back a little bit more um, and listening to things, but no, I've got I've got bands that I listen to now. Biffy Clyro is one of my big favourites at the moment that I've tried to turn you on to a few times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, there, there's things like you know the Killers, I really like. Uh, um, there's an Australian band here called Thirsty Merc, which I think are pretty cool um so you know there's there's stuff around but but i think the that sort of that culture that you were talking about before in the 80s of because there was no internet there was no spotify so when an album came out it was a big deal you know it was, oh. that was a um, remember the user illusion when ben uh, yeah, yeah. friend ben went into town at midnight and picked up both copies yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's gone. That's gone now. That doesn't exist. Even even um, the biggest bands in the world, um, when they release an album, it just pops up in your new release. And you go, oh, didn't even know they were recording an album. Oh, look there, yeah. And you have a listen to it. You know, the the the, the culture around new music is different. Mm. I think. Um, mm. I mean, it's interesting for me. One of the, I mean, one of our joint favorite groups of all time was is Bon Jovi, right? Yes. Um, and I've been delving back in on Spotify to the Bon Jovi New Jersey, um, which my my gateway album was slippery and wet. But yep. I'm kind of with you. I think New Jersey arguably sounds. New Jersey's a better it, album. I think but it I'm is. With, I'm with you. It, it's um, slippery. Was was that was probably one of the. I I think it might be the first album I ever got on vinyl, right? And it was a big deal. You know, I 
got my mum to go to the go to the can you go and get that from the record shop for me and she went I came home from school one day and there it was man I devoured that thing and it's it's awesome it's still great <coughs> um being a New Jersey's a better better album yeah well anyway there's a del- there's a deluxe version uh on there's a let's say is that a cat we we try we try to do Spotify we're trying to do a podcast here and Sarah's trying to put up a freaking curtain next to me. Uh, All I ask for is this much professionalism. <laughs> well, hang on a minute. Hi, Sarah. What would you like me to do? Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. Sorry, listeners. Oh, you just tipped my whiskey out over me as well. Was that whiskey? Nice. Yeah. I thought you were having a nice Chardonnay or something. I didn't realise what was in the... Hey, Cesar. Nice to see you. Yeah. Can I help or not? Okay. Um, no, I had a whiskey and um, a soda water. Yeah. yeah nice. um, no, I've, I've, I've been listening to uh, the deluxe version of New Jersey because it's got like uh, 10 unreleased tracks on there. And I love, it's on Spotify, you know, and I love just hearing some of the songs that didn't quite make it onto the album back then. But because because I haven't had a good Bon Jovi album in years, um, I arguably think their last great album was These Days. I I love to keep the faith. Um, Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like I just left them at hairband time, no, I I did no. I did like keep the faith. I, did I would argue love... these days is probably their best album ever, and that was yeah ninety five. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I just <laughs> love I love hearing the the band pulling these songs together back in in nineteen eighty eight because they did House of Fire that they end up giving to Alice Cooper on the Trash yeah, album. Nice. I never knew that that yep. that. Um, that was their song. Um, they did a song, Does Anybody Really Fall in Love Anymore, that they gave to Alice's guitar player at the time, this big hulking guy called Kane Roberts, which I remember Ben Williams going, it's the most awful song uh, when we heard it on a, a, um, a one of those video programs. But they were, um, you know, that was a Bon Jovi song. It was a one they didn't use. But there's just a whole lot of stuff there. Um, like there's that song that's on 100 million fans can't be wrong with called Edge of a Broken Heart. Oh, that that was from um, the Slippery Sessions, wasn't it? That was a Slippery Sessions. It was left off Slippery. I, I have a like a, a a mix A, which is you know my songs that you never skip past, you know, and that is on there. It's yeah, one of their I best songs it. ever, and they never released it. Well, they did no. release it, obviously, but they was, it never made an album, you know what I mean? Never made an album. And I guess that was from back in the day when they had their pizza pizza parlor jury. It must have been one of those ones that was there, but yeah. everyone chose Wild in the Streets or whatever. And it just, and then they kept writing and it just didn't fit because it doesn't really fit New Jersey either, to be fair. No, no. It, it doesn't. But, um, you know, like over lockdown, I've been jamming around on ride cowboy ride it's, it's the deeper cuts that that just uh wild really, is the wind that was always one of wild is the wind what a great song um god arguably even one like songs that i would never have 
listen to back in the day, like 99 in the Shade. I mean, I would have skipped over that oh, every day of the week. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. And, and even more so, um, just trying to be professional here. But sorry, <laughs> listeners. Sorry, listeners. Um, okay, clearly, this one's not going to have to be edited up. That, that's uh, okay. Yeah. This is what people like, authenticity. I, I'm like that guy when, do you remember um, there was a thing going around a few years back where a guy was trying to talk to CNN and his, daughter, his baby daughter yeah. came in the door behind him? Strutted, <laughs> she strutted in. Yeah. Next thing that the housekeeper or someone grabs or the wife it was, grabs. It was the mum. It was the mum. Oh, the mum. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Housekeeper. Um, Racist. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, nose out of there. Um, but yeah, no, look, I, I've been, um, that's what I've been doing. Um, I will say that uh, the other day I was, I, I thought I'd go back because Poison haven't released an album of new material since that one they did with the Emperor's New Clothes and that years ago. Oh, um, man. And that was terrible. Yeah. Holly weird. Uh, Holly weird. Holly weird. That's it. So I decided Jeez. to just have a look because, I mean, at a Brett Michaels sort of thing on Spotify, I just found it a really hard listen. I thought, you know, you, yeah. you're kind of jumping between dumb punk versions or something to kind of weird country versions of other things. And yeah. arguably he is the guy that now we just want to hear you sing Fallen Angel, Every Rose, and Nothing But A Good yeah. Time in... Um, yeah, well, look, and he he puts out the odd solo track every now and again, and they're, you know, fine. <laughs> but that doesn't really stack up. No, no. But there, there is uh, an argument, I reckon, that, um, you know, those, those top-tier 80s bands put out some of their best stuff in amidst that 90s revolution you know you, the, these days from bon jovi um mm. the motley Crue self-titled album a lot of people reference that as being fantastic i think it's pretty good it's not fantastic do, do you consider metallica to be in that with the black album um i wouldn't class them as a, i mean they were, they were part of the movement in the same way that maybe an acdc was but i don't know that you'd call them hair metal no would you um, but look, having said that, they're on all the same magazines. Mm. They played all the same festivals. Yeah. Um, so you know, maybe. I mean, they were on. Maybe th th they were on the bill of that Monsters of Rock at the time that yep. had uh, Van Halen and the Scorpions and Dokken and Metallica yep. and Kingdom Come. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So they were absolutely although they were a heavier version of, they were yeah. one of them. And arguably they, I mean, their, that Black album, which came out in probably 1991, look right up there. See, I mean, that's the million dollar question is that while Nirvana messed up so many of them, how the hell did Guns N' Roses release not one, but two albums in 1992? And I could be wrong. Was it 1992 or 1991? Mm, I think the albums came out in 91. Right. They were on the same label, Geffen, as yep. Nirvana, yet they seem to still happily 
France through the early 90s and I don't know. I mean, then, then yeah. he had to disappear for 15 years, didn't he, you know? Yeah, for sure. But um, that was self-imposed exile more than more than anything else. Yeah. Um, that, that, well, that was, I think, kind of hence my question. Were they what you would consider... An eighties hair metal band, Guns and Roses. I think they started. I think not. they started out that way, and then they distanced themselves very quickly. Real they quick. would never have put themselves in that boat. Yet you look at the difference. I always think the difference came really quickly. They did Welcome to the Jungle, where Axel had his hair all teased up. Then very quickly, for the Sweet Child of Mine video, it was much more authentic. No, ma- the yeah. makeup had gone. No one's wearing makeup. We're all yeah. just looking cool. I, th- I think it was it would probably almost have even been a thing that they kind of did that because they were part of that LA scene, and if you wanted to play in the clubs in LA at the time, that's what you did. Yeah. If you didn't look that way, you weren't getting in. No. Probably right. Yeah. Um, no, so arguably they, yeah, I mean, try as they might, you know, I mean, Nikki Six is one of the great ones for saying, I was never part of that scene. We were as punk as they come. You were, <laughs> yeah. You were, you were Metal Edge. Metal Edge was the magazine, and when you flick through Metal Edge, there's. I mean, that's one of the great. The, one of the great ones that that has seemingly avoided it was John Bon Jovi. He doesn't associate with that era, and was it because he got his hair cut? I, th- I think there's a there's a large portion of the world that only think of him from that era. I would agree with you, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's arguably gotten bigger over the years. I mean, they were never yeah. really a yeah. stadium act. I mean, uh, it's just interesting to see how those bands that did go on to bigger and greater things, how they how they morphed. I mean, we've kind of gone off track here because the, the, the original question was, did the 90s do us all a favour by burying the 80s hair bands? And, um, well, I mean... It- to to give you a succinct answer to the question, my, my, when you when you first sort of posed the topic with me, I thought, "Oh, well, this will be a short discussion because we're both on the we play for the same team." No, because '80s rock was awesome, but when you think about it, they didn't kill the top tier; they killed the shitty under the bottom feeders. Yeah, and I guess I guess the the one philosophy that you can apply to it and go, "Well, yeah," because change is always good. Yeah, and if you think about someone like us that were growing up, we were sitting there looking at a formula to try and emulate somehow, like putting a Z yeah. or a Z in yep. the name of your songs, uh, yep. as you say, in this part of the world. Um, yeah. wearing, wearing makeup for no real reason, you know, like yep. the androgynous thing had gone had done its thing, yet we were still trying to do it. Although, arguably, we we tried to make a move into theatrical rock, which everyone laughed at and said, we don't need another Kiss or um, Alice Cooper. Yet since then, there was Marilyn Manson. Since then, there was uh, uh, Slipknot. Slipknot, yeah. That that band Lordy, or, you know, that one that... um, I mean, there's been multiple ones where, yeah, yeah, for sure, absolutely, the theatrical things come back. Um, but I, I'm kind of with you. I think when I think back, 
I actually think they did did it a bit of a favor um, because the the right the people that rightfully deserve to be at the top fought. I don't think any of them didn't fight for it. You know, like mm. they've all had to make sacrifices. I think they were all just on this gravy train. And just think of Motley Crue. Think of the sacrifice they had to make. They had to get Vince back. And they have realized even to this day, even though Vince is overweight and arguably not singing however he sang, they realized that what the public want is those four people on stage. Yep. And Poison were the same. Yep. Uh, arguably Kiss were the same until Kiss kind of muddied those waters. But I mean, people like you and I, well, they've, they've, they've gotten around it by, you know, painting up the new guys to look like the old guys, you know? Yeah. Whereas once upon a time, they kept that very separate, didn't they? Vinnie Vincent didn't dress as Ace, nor did Eric Carr dress as Peter. Whereas yeah. now they turned it into a brand. A brand. Yeah. Um, well, now, I saw Gene Simmons said a thing the other day, said that it's there's no reason why Kiss can't continue when he and Paul retire, you know, and, and, so like the Wiggles, you know, you just replace the older members as they get too old and put some new ones in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, all of this comes down to what the public's appetite is. And um, I mean, I think nowadays the internet is a harsh critic, man. Whereas back in the day, we used to hear about songs they might or might not be put in set lists. It was a lottery. That's why you went to live entertainment. Whereas now there's always someone with a phone filming and if something's really good yeah people go something's not not great mm. uh the public opinion weighs against you and um well yeah. and to to a point that's always been the way as well you know some of the some of the as we say some of these bands they've experienced that quick drop in the early 90s but they were able to come back up you know i mean i don't know that bon jovi's con concert attendance has really dropped much through all of that because he was able to switch the image around real quick, um, you know, and, and they were putting out a different type of music and people latched onto it, and that was okay too, you know. He, I think what John Bon Jovi was able to do was really, really grasp where his, uh, his fan base were headed. I think he realized that what were the screaming 16-year-old girls in 1987 were the slightly older uh, university students in 1989. But by 1993, uh, these are women that, that uh, you know, I mean, I think that was the key for Bon Jovi was the ballad. Yeah. He, he drove that ballad from Bed of Roses into Always... You yeah. know, I mean, he made great ballads that almost moved into Michael Bolton territory. Yeah, yeah. Air supply sure. territory, if you ask me. Yeah. Um, but also, there was a bit of a rocky thing. Then he would lost highway. He he realized that country was a huge thing. And so he had that uh, Who Says You Can't Go Home became a crossover number one. Yeah. I mean, you can't give up the guy for being a man he's had to work that thing. Whereas someone like Def Leppard, um, I mean, they've done the odd cover album. Uh, yeah. I don't know that they ever, I uh, just, I think that that hysteria album was just so darn good. Yeah. Uh, that's why when, when the sort of comeback tours started coming around 2000, 
they were just they were there they were ready to go and, and likewise yep. so were so you think like motley crew when the generation swine which would have been late 90s i still don't think everyone was really that into what it was they were doing just yet but it yeah. was when all of like i think all of us hit the, our 30s yeah we all had a bit of money we probably weren't having kids just yet or maybe a few of us did it was like oh really fancy going it was it took us back didn't it mm -hmm. it was like yeah. it was like a trip back in time going and seeing bon jovi in the late 90s was yeah it was it was about just reliving your teenage years but now you had the money to do it yeah it's exactly right yeah yeah um but i have to say that the big thing that i've taken from the 90s is eddie vetter aside there's not going to be many of them to fly the flag moving forward because all of them pretty much killed themselves <laughs> hey well you know, yeah yeah look I mean, it's really there's a, sad there's a trend there's a trend there isn't there you know there's um yeah i mean the, the, i guess what it showed was that the the angst was real it was authentic yep. these were troubled humans that were really living their art and you know i mean i, I was really sad when i was thinking about it the other day i was like Okay, so Kurt Cobain's gone. So, I mean, we all know there's never going to be another Nirvana. That's gone. Yep. Um, uh, Scott Wheeland, uh, yep. gone. I know Stone Temple Pilots is still a thing, obviously, but not with yep. Wheeland, who yep. was the guy. Uh, same with Chris Cornell. Um, yep. I'd arguably put uh, Chester Bennington uh, in there, although they were probably a bit later, Linkin Park, weren't they? They, but, were, they were, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, great, great music, and unfortunately, we're never going to be able to hear it again. Uh, you know, apart from on by on album. Um, yeah. Whereas all those happy Brett Michaels types are still out there loving the Sammy Hagar. You know, like that guy seems to just bring the party. He's not my favorite Sammy, but he seems to bring the party, and that's his. That's his sort of MO, isn't it? Yeah. Making yeah, us all feel sure. good. Yep. 100%. Um, so, yeah, I guess an answer that there's no real right or wrong answer here anyway. Yes, the, the 90s did do a favor burying the 80s bands. It certainly made them go. work. There was a right answer, and that was it. Yeah. They did. Uh, but in the, in the end, as much as I hated to admit it at the time. Yeah. Know. But in the end, history's brought it back full circle and we've all been able to enjoy that music. It wasn't like they died. You know what I mean? Like that, that the music, uh, if you wanted to go and watch it, they, they've continued to tour almost like a Rolling Stones. And um, yeah. And I have to say for the most part, I mean, having seen most of those bands now later in life, I mean, they still deliver kick-ass shows. Um, did you ever get to see Aerosmith? I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw them um, the last time they came to Melbourne, which was awesome. You know, and they were, uh, you know, they're they're obviously getting on. You know, Stephen Tyler's not doing handstands anymore, but um, they still put on a great show. He still moves around pretty well. He sings fantastic. 
which for someone who's been singing the way he has for as long as he has is incredible. So, and I thought when I, I, I saw them, that off my bucket list. Yeah, when I saw them, first thing I thought, I thought, you know, Joe Perry, you must be at the time uh, sixty. I mean, I'm I'm guessing Joe Perry now must be mid seventies. Would he be? Uh, I'd be pretty close. He is seventy one. He's younger than I thought he was then. Okay. Well, look, I, I did he say just had, just had a birthday five days ago. There you go. There you go. Um, I just couldn't believe when I saw Joe Perry, I thought, you know what, Joe Perry, you are so damn cool. Yeah. You are timeless. You're yeah. timeless as I'm looking at you. And, you know, I'm 47 now. I feel 47. And I looked at Joe Perry and thought, wow, you're incredible. Um, yeah. And look, arguably Stephen Tyler was the same. Um, I thought Tom Hamilton and Brad Whitford looked freaking old. Uh, <laughs> but those two main guys looked amazing. And um, yeah, and just put on such a kick-ass show. I mean, I will say there's a few out there now that I, I, I just wish that they left their legacy where it was. And I'm talking about you, Mr. Bon Jovi. You know, I, I just <laughs> thought that um, the voice just isn't. His throat's to, Yeah. Yeah, it has. And yeah. it's sad. And uh, you well, do wonder it, what. And look, he, he, his music doesn't speak to me in the way that it did either. Um, and his, his, his voice absolutely is not what, what it was. When I listened to their last album, the one time I listened to it, and, you know, just meh, whatevs. What he has done, and again, it's it's relatively clever, is he's singing. He sings music that suits his voice now. He's not trying to redo things. That I, now, obviously, he's got to go out and tour and play all those songs, and that's a different kettle of fish. But he's not trying to make albums the way that he made them back yeah. then. He goes, "This is how I sing now," so he sings a song like that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you know what? No one can. No, no one can uh, criticize the guy for wanting to go and do what he does. It's our it's our decision as a fan whether we want to buy tickets or not. And the good thing is with the internet, go on, have a look. If you think yeah. that he sounds great, then and you want to hear him sing like that, then fine. If you don't, yeah. then don't. I mean, arguably, if you rang me and said, "Oh, we're going," I would go, and and I'd go because I want to hear Bud to be my baby, and I want to hear. Living on a prayer, I want to sing along, living on a prayer one last time. It's still the guy, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like that, that's the thing, yeah. it's still the guy that, that uh, dare I say it, I worship for so many years, you know? Um, I love hearing what the guy has to say. And I've heard all sorts of comments about what he's like to deal with. <laughs> Whatever. I'm a fan yeah. of that band, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I think that's I think probably the thing that's, um, that's, has kind of tarnished a little bit of the view of the 80s is as you as you get older and you get a little bit wiser about things you look back at some of these guys and it's, it's not about the music it's about you know because you did have such reverence for them when you were younger and now you look at it and you go eh, they're human beings with flaws and i don't necessarily agree with all their views on certain subjects and eh, you know you, you don't have that same uh Reverend, oh. yeah, yeah. Well, and and but you know that that's a god up there doing his and and 
because I like their music, I like everything about that person. And as you get older, you go, no, I can like their music and still mm. disagree with them a little bit, you know? Look, I, I think I think in all honesty, social media would have possibly buried a lot of those uh, groups, you know, because... Would have buried they, us too. Probably. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it... Yeah, I just think there was so much that that was able to be kept. You know, think of something like Kiss managing to keep the mystique of their makeup secret mm. for the better part yeah. of eight or nine years, yep. and um, it just would never happen now. It could no. it could never happen. There's always someone with a mobile phone taking a video or a photo, um, but it was what it was what that mystique was what made it so special when you knew they were coming to your town. It was like, yeah. wow, this is crazy. You know, I remember first time seeing Brett Michaels just thinking, I cannot believe I'm seeing him. Like, this is absolutely awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. But that's, that's the magic of, that's the magic of, of live, live, the live part of the concert. And um, sure. yeah, but look, um, I think we'll leave it there, mate. I think we've pretty much summed it up and, and given it a pretty good, uh, pretty good nudge. And uh but I have so much more to say. No, I don't. I can't back that up. I haven't. Yeah, nothing more to say. What, Until what next I, time. You know what? I'll, I'll end. It, I'll end it with this little anecdote. I always remember, um, yeah, and the whole '80s versus versus '90s rock thing. When Guns and Roses came to Auckland in '93, they were playing at the Mount Mount Smart Stadium, and there was this vibe of anticipation in the city you know it was this was a big deal they drew a huge crowd and in the lead up to it they were doing all this promotion on radio about and they're bringing an international support act who's it going to be who's it going to be and people are doing that oh would it, could it be pearl jam could it be sound gun could it be yeah Alison chan who's it who's it going to be and then like three weeks before they came it was announced it's skid row and I went, yeah, and everybody else went, oh.